What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer, today on Squawk Pod. Yeah, it's this week. Washington's funding deadline is looming, and the devil is in the details. PIMCO's head of public policy, Libby Cantrell. Speaker McCarthy has a sort of Sophie's Choice in front of him. And is the economy on the edge? We could be in the first quarter of the slowdown. It happened gradually and then all at once. Chicago Federal Reserve Bank President Austin Goolsby says avoiding a recession is possible, but inflation's still a risk. You cannot change your target if you haven't reached the target. Plus, the writer's strike reaching an end. T-Swift's dating again. My wife is happy about Travis. She's getting away from the, like, the singers and the entertainers. They're, nobody needs them. They're, they, they're flaky. And subscription Tinder has us thinking. <laughs> career or yeah, what career? The oldest one. Yeah. It's Monday, September 25th. There's a party going on. Right now. Squawk Pod, the musical, begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market side in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. And yes, it is still raining four okay. days later. Okay. Rain is a good thing. And we're here. That's an even better thing. Last week was a rougher one for the markets. And if you've been looking at some of the signs of pressure around the outsides, people have started writing stories about this, Joe, just how the industrials, the S&P industrials, down 8%. Since August 1st, their high-level watermark there. You've also got the Russell 2000, the small caps, down by about 11% since their high watermark on July 31st. And as people wondering, because when you see the small caps and the industrials turn down, is that a sign of worse things to come for the markets? Europe's in a recession, or at least Germany. UK, not great. China, uh, maybe it's bottoming, but but slow there. So why should, maybe we shouldn't be surprised. The most fascinating thing is is people are writing articles that we could be in the first quarter of the slowdown. Maybe not negative, but at least a slowdown. Because it would have to, it would be one of those things where it happened gradually and then all at once. Because there's been, the coincident indicators aren't saying that. Correct. Correct. But we don't, you know, we're hearing more and more people. It's really kind of depressing this week where we had the great former Fed guys, uh, or one of the smart ones that we had on. Daniel Cerullo. Yeah, that narrows it down. It. No, it doesn't. Yeah. But, uh, but saying that the, the biggest problem that the Fed has is they, they, they don't have a crystal ball, and we know that. Difficult as it is, the Fed's need to, needs to be a little bit more forward-looking, and I would, I would hope a little bit more explicit on some of these questions that you know, can't be definitively answered, but at least give us some sense of what, what their real reaction function is. Because I, I don't think a reaction function that says, we're going to make a decision based on the data we get before the next meeting is especially helpful to markets. But we need to remember that so that if you're looking at three months or six months ago and making policy decisions based on that, they're not going to be that great. I don't know what's better, maybe some kind of 
rules-based um, formula, like maybe the Taylor rule that makes you do things regardless of what your gut feeling. Sometimes the rules don't always work, though, is the problem. Because they're based on, on, <laughs> based on what's happened in, in the, the past, past too. As well. Right. So, uh, look, the, the good news is, is the Fed is stopping to look around. They're going to take their time to try and figure this out. And if you want to take a look at Treasury yields in the meantime, we did see an uptick in yields last week after the Fed's decision where it said, yeah, they're, they're going to stop and look around, but you can anticipate that rates will be higher for longer. They repeated that once again. If you went to bed early last night, um, Raise your hand. Not it. Huh? <laughs> Not you it. didn't go to bed early? Uh, Early-ish. I wasn't too late last night. You went to bed early. You, you missed the Steelers win. That coaches, they, they, you can never, I don't think, really say the Steelers are horrible. You know what I mean? Have you ever had, remember when? In my memory, no. They're just never really horrible, but they won. Um, but also, you may have missed that Hollywood writers and studios have reached a deal to end the strike. Matt Bellany. Uh, from Puck uh, joins us now. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Matt, did you, you know, supposedly this was going to be the year the Bears did a little bit better. Uh, the reason I'm bringing that up is because Travis Kelsey has got a new squeeze, apparently. And I don't know whether you saw that. Taylor. Oh, I did. You, you did. And, he, you know, I get nervous when someone's watching me things. He did not get nervous, on the other hand, that uh, that's, that's Travis's mother. He's a University of Cincinnati grad, by the way, Travis Kelsey. But Taylor was there. I guess my question, um, I'm, I'm not getting anything from, from this movie opening. I don't know why, but because I, I, I did have something to do with it. But do you think it's going to do $100 million? Well, now, for sure. Because I of mean, that. A cynical, a cynical person might question whether... Promotion. Her, Taylor Swift's appearance at the game is related to the fact that she has a movie coming out in three weeks and might want to get some of those football fans to come see it. And uh, not a bad time to have a movie, given that it, there has been some damage from this strike. Some things have been put off. If it ends now, it's a, it, it, you can salvage something for, for the su next summer and for the 23-24 TV season, right? I mean, it... This will work if they if it if it actually happens. Then you get the actors. I thought on you were board. talking about the Kelsey movie. She's an interesting one because you know she could promote her movie potentially if she wanted to. Um, you know that's a big thing in the SAG AFTRA actor strike is they're not allowed to promote. But that wasn't the deal right. that was made last night. Last night the writers and the studios came to a tentative agreement to end that 146 day strike that we've been talking about all summer. What? Do you know, because neither side are allowed to really divulge any of the, uh, the details, but we can assume that the studios acceded to some of these things, right? Oh, absolutely. There was definitely compromises on both sides. And from what I'm told, the writers are getting a success metric in streaming, which was a big point of contention. They wanted to see data. They wanted to see how well their shows are doing. And they wanted some of their residuals to be given to them as a bonus if their shows do well. And I'm told that they did get that metric. They also got concessions on AI. The studios did agree to give them pretty broad protections against using their work for AI training. Now, the studios did get the ability to experiment a little bit, and they're going to reframe what their uh, positions are going to be in the next round in three years. And they got wage increases and the normal things that you would expect. And why? 
So what'd they give? Yeah, what, what did they have to give up? I guess they wanted well, to- Well, for instance, on this minimum staffing issue where they wanted a certain number of writers to be hired for each show. They didn't get the number that they wanted, I'm told. They did get something, and it's going to be based on the number of episodes per show, and the showrunner is going to be involved in the decision, but they didn't get that. They also wanted, um, you know, they wanted broader uh, transparency where they would get access to all sorts of data that they're probably not going to get. Um, and there were a couple of other issues, like with, with wages and things that they didn't get. They also wanted the ability to strike if other guilds are on strike, and they're not getting that. Um, but it's 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 definitely more than what they were offered on May 1st, which is when they went on strike. Why have I read in a couple of different places that this opens the door for a settlement with the actors? Why? Well, because the thinking is, is that the actors will use a number of these terms from the writer's deal as a template and then build upon that. The actors have some very specific issues that are specific to actors. They've also asked for wage increases above and beyond what the writers even asked for. So we'll see what they get on that. But the thinking is, is that now that the writers are done, that was the big hurdle, and the, the actors will follow in a couple weeks after. So the, uh, I made a point that, that maybe things can be salvaged. It takes, it takes like two months before you even start production of, of a TV show, right? And, and, and I believe that because they're very well written. Even the crappiest ones are really well written, uh, I think. So what's what's delayed what how much damage do we see on on the uh, on the studios at this point well it takes a couple of weeks just to ratify the deal if the tentative deal becomes the real deal they have to have the members vote on it and then as i said the actors would need to do a separate deal that's the big wild card we don't know how long that's going to take but if best case scenario if the actors do the deal that we think they will do we think that around thanksgiving we could probably get back up to production and then everything is going to go all at once. See you later. Thank you. Tinder has rolled out an ultra premium subscription tier to its dating app users, charging $499 a month for exclusive search and matching. <laughs> I mean, this whole thing, I, I, I was going to say, I'm going to, we're going to do this without comment. Let's but just we, not. We were commenting a lot. I know, but let's just do it with, because I don't know what the hell it means. Uh, it, it means that I've people that are on it every. It might yeah, mean. I got an idea too. <laughs> and this is legal, I think. Um, do you put your bank account? On who you are? I, I don't. I like the, if you're. It, this basically means if you're somebody who's up for going out every night and hooking and, and up, and you can show a pretty good bank account, you will find someone who will go with you. How is this? Le is this different than those other type? I don't know. That's what. That's what. I don't understand entirely. That's what I said. Obviously, we don't neither wanna, of us have been on Tinder. Without but, common. Well, you you swipe. I've never been I on Tinder. No, I haven't either. It came along after Bum, we Bumbler is much better. <laughs> The plan, uh, called Tinder Select, uh, launched Friday, was offered to less than 1% of Tinder users who are among the apps most active. Because uh, we're out every night. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Looking, man. Jonesing for a date. Uh, the company said users... Yeah, a date. Uh, said users will be able to access new features. Tinder might be mad at us for these comments. Uh, new features such as VIP search matching and conversation that aren't currently provided. Uh, with existing paid plans. It didn't elab elaborate on how those features differ from other offerings. And or what you're getting for your 500 bucks a month. Stop. <laughs> parent, company match, uh, parent company Match Group has experience with high-priced dating subscriptions. <laughs> 
High price what? <laughs> dating subscriptions. In 2022, it bought The League, an invite-only dating app that targets ambitious career-oriented, <laughs> career-oriented, what career? Career-oriented singles with uh, a VIP plan. Yeah, with a VIP, yeah, the oldest, with a VIP plan that costs $1,000 a week. That was, it's supposed to be a 20-second read. I, I, I almost like start, a thriving I know, plan. I know, it does. I almost started with, I'm going to read this without commentary, and you ruined it. I know, you're right. These are all things that people are thinking, but usually not saying. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, just days remain for Congress to negotiate a government funding deal before a shutdown. PIMCO's Libby Cantrell on the impact of missing that deadline. This could be another sort of whammy, sort of another headwind to the economy when you're looking at student loan repayments, when you're looking at sort of all these other headwinds. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This is Squawk Pod. Up on Becky. Q. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan. Andrew's off today, and I just won the most annoying contest. You did. You did. <laughs> well, did. Every day you do. <laughs> We were picking worse songs to stick in that somebody's head. for kids. I won't, right. I won't sing it for you. No. no. You thought you had People me. last week said they, lo- they love you because you are willing to sing on there. Yeah, I'm not going to sing that one because then people will hate me. One, eight, seven, seven, cars. You can hate him. There will be an Ozempic story again on this show at some point. You know that because it's yes. a weight loss story. So yes. we'll, that's, we'll sing that other song. The, the other. We'll do the yeah, other most annoying, annoying song. song. Okay. And then we'll sing but Small not, World, no. which is also and then really annoying. Small World, right. which has always been your... The one to drive you crazy. Well, that one drives me crazy. That's why you were singing it. Right. The race is on by lawmakers to try and reach a deal to avoid a government shutdown. That deadline is Sunday, October 1st. That's this Sunday. Emily Wilkins is standing by. She's been looking into all of this. Emily. Good morning, Becky. Well, yes, there's six days until a government shutdown, and Congress has no plan right now to keep the lights on after September 30th. Speaker Kevin McCarthy has said that he wants to try yet again this week to get a vote on a temporary funding bill that would prevent a shutdown, but he just does not have enough support in his own party to do that. Rather, a handful of Republicans are holding out, insisting on first passing long-term spending bills packed with conservative priorities. But even going back route, there's not enough time to move all remaining 11 funding bills this week. 
And frustrations are really growing within the larger Republican Party at this small fraction of members who have been holding up progress. Congressman Garrett Graves, who is a member of McCarthy's leadership team, said over the weekend that Republicans are ultimately only hurting themselves if the government shuts down. The arsonists have lit their house on fire. They're whining about their house burning. They're going to want credit for putting the fire out, and then they're going to set up a GoFundMe to get paid for what happened. Um, this is really disingenuous. While the House has been in disarray, the Senate has stepped in. They've started work on their own bipartisan short-term spending bill. Now, if the Senate passes its bill first, McCarthy could work with Democrats to pass that bill and to end a shutdown. But Congressman Matt Gates, as well as several other lawmakers, have said that if McCarthy works with Democrats, they will move to oust him as speaker. Becky lawmakers will, will be back in town tomorrow for, for what many are expecting to be a rough week that could potentially end with a shutdown. Emily, thank you very much. And joining us now, Libby Cantrell is head of U.S. public policy uh, at PIMCO. I read a quote earlier from, uh, from the speaker that says, when it comes right down to it, the guys have been holding out probably will will come around. Is that whistling past the graveyard? Uh, yeah. Wishful thinking? Uh, yeah, I think that seems like wishful thinking. Uh, you know, it's it, it sort of, um, Speaker McCarthy has a sort of Sophie's Choice in front of him. Right. Either he can pass a bill that can actually pass the Senate and be signed into law and fund the government and avoid a shutdown. He probably will lose his speakership if he does that, because that means sort of by definition he's working with Democrats. Or he can pass a bill that won't pass the Senate, won't be signed into law, shut down the government, maybe retain his speakership. I think that our view is he probably has to pick the latter. Um, so as a result, we're most likely looking at a government shutdown. I think for the markets and for the economy, the real question is, for how long? Because what if this does is he just get? If, I mean, if the odds, if the deal is you go ahead and you pass yeah. something that you know is not going to get there, you go into a government shutdown, what does he get I mean, as good a result? Will, goodwill, I think, with the House Freedom Caucus. With the House Freedom Caucus, but what ultimately looks different? I mean, I don't, just, yeah. at some point, you've got to resolve the differences. And, yeah, and, and, and Becky, as you, as you remember, in the debt ceiling agreement, they had already negotiated the spending right. levels for both fiscal year 24 and 25. And so... I think everyone thought this was going to be sort of perfunctory, that they would just fund this at, at the levels already agreed upon, passed, you know, that, that bill passed by 70% of the House Republican caucus. Um, but of course, it, there, there was some buyer's remorse <laughs> among the House Freedom Caucus members, especially around the, around the debt ceiling bill. And as a result, they're, they're sort of forcing uh, this. So I think it really is more just goodwill. It's more of a symbolic gesture to no, his I just right mean, flank. Eventually, you're going to have to say, okay, we're going to compromise somewhere. Maybe yeah. you get the administration to say, yes, we'll give you more. Maybe you get Senate Democrats. But what would you be getting? Yeah, be I, getting think that, I think, you know, one lever is around border security because okay. that is an issue where, you know, President Biden is arguably vulnerable going into yeah. uh, in, into next year. And so you would probably get some provisions there. Probably not what the House Republicans have sort of have intimated that they want, but probably some negotiation around that. But outside of that, you're right. It probably will just end up where the destiny agreement had. Who would you have to argue with? What do you mean, who would you have to argue You said with? is arguably vulnerable for that. Who would take the other oh, side well, of that? Oh, well, no. I mean, yeah, this is, this is an area where he is, you know, for sure vulnerable, yeah. um, you know, going into, going into the election. We've had people on that have pointed fingers and named names at who's to blame in terms of the far-right guys. And, and they mentioned Matt Gates and, and others. And that it's all about self-aggrandizement or, or clicks. They actually say clicks. Yeah, That's well, what they fundraising, want. Fundraising, running for fundraising, you know, running, running for statewide but office. But they can yeah. fall back on the the purest uh, that that the debt is just too high. What yeah. do you want me to do? And yeah. that does appeal 
to some people? For, for, for sure. I mean, you know, we've been talking to our clients a lot about this. Sort of the politics of austerity, if you will, have returned to Washington with... Is that wrong? Debt. No, I mean, no. I mean, yeah, we're, I mean, we're, 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 we're no, in yeah, trouble, yeah, yeah. Right? And obviously, we're, we're huge you know, debt holders. Yeah. So, so we are worried about you know, debt sustainability in the long term. Joe, the, sort of the irony, though, is, is that this is nibbling around the edges, focusing right. just on discretionary spending. Really, if you do really need to change, if you really want to change the needle, you need to look at Medicare and Social Security right. and doing, making some really, you know, we think, some common sense tweaks to those programs that would then allow sort of the debt picture to look neither a lot party, better. But neither party wants the to do third that. Rail. Yeah, it is the third rail. But, so this is not the hill to die on, then. Uh, with this with well this you know this does to your point uh, it does raise money uh, it does get clicks uh, and again for a part of the electorate this is really appealing I mean regardless of the fact that it only you know does nibble around the edges doesn't really change the the fiscal picture yeah. it still it still does something and I think for some voters that's really but theoretically I, you, you could get clicks you could hurt the party itself so that you lose seats next yeah. time. So you can still be, then you're a loud minority and you can still complain and say, I would, I would do power. this if I was in power, if, if we had the house, I would do this, I would do that. I, boy, I really want, but you, you're not governing. So it's, yeah, well. they, connect, they don't connect the dots. Yeah. Scott Gottlieb points out the difference between this and the shutdown that happened in the Trump administration when, when Scott was there, um, the blowback was on the president himself. So there were efforts by the agencies to try and mitigate the impact, but this is different. This is a shutdown where the administration actually benefits because it's probably going to get blamed more on the Republicans. Yeah. So well, this could be a little more disruptive. It, it, so, so I think there are two things. One is that the polling shows that yeah, Republicans disproportionately would shoulder the burden, but still Democrats don't look great either, right? Yeah. This is, I mean, just in terms of disillusionment of Washington and the ability to govern, I think both sides are sort of impugned in this. The second thing that I think is really important though to distinguish between this, this potential shutdown and a 2019 shutdown is that was just a partial shutdown. That was only part of the government. This would be all of discretionary spending, basically the entire government outside of Social Security and Medicare. Which, and the which, bottom line for that is the data. So it, it, there's an economic impact, but then there are also potential economic impact, but also the Fed would not have access to payrolls data, CPI data, JOLTS data. Tell us data. what this looks like to a, an individual consumer. What's it going to mean for, right, for so, somebody who maybe doesn't work in the government, but it, government workers are going to be hosed, they'll eventually get paid back, but exactly, most of them don't yeah. have Yeah, so if you're, I mean, if you're going through airports, pay for you know, yeah, a lot of these workers are going to be deemed essential, but they are not going to be getting paid. So TSA, for instance, they will have to still be showing up at the airports and still be and providing security paid. and not get paid. And, and that was, so air traffic controllers and TSA say we're actually the sort of the forcing point in the 2019 2018 2019 shutdown. I mean, Becky, I'm just I'm just the messenger here. What, what, <laughs> what's, what is more disturbing to the credit to the ratings agencies if if yeah. we shut down or if we go to 35 trillion? I, I, I think neither. Well, I think yeah, not, not, neither is sustainable. I just think this is the the question, though, is does a shutdown really achieve your you know, right. the, the ultimate? But there will goals? be there, there's going to be. This, I mean, it started with Fitch. That this could spread. Couldn't yeah. It, well, it can... well. So the irony, of course, is that Fitch downgraded the U.S. in August for this, for partly for this very reason, right. yeah. <laughs> because of this dysfunction. But if we don't stop it, then they're doing it for the other. No, absolutely. The other and they definitely. I mean, obviously, they they also pointed to to debt. Yeah. And everybody in government said, "Oh, you you're wrong for downgrading on based on this." Like, like okay, yeah. Well, I mean, right. this is like evidence. I think you know. I think that just taking a step back, there is. I mean, and this is going to be surprised, but there, there is a bipartisan coalition who agrees that the debt is unsustainable, that we're on an unsustainable trajectory, but that it needs to 
there ne a solution needs to be bipartisan. But they also agree that there needs to be something done at the border. Yeah. So it, it's kind of like, yes, all of the sense, the common sense sort of things that everybody agrees with. Yeah, all with. of the above. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's absolutely right. So I think, I mean, the, the bottom line, I think, to the markets, though, is that this could be another sort of whammy, sort of another headwind to the economy right. when you're looking at student loan repayments, when you're looking at sort of all these other headwinds that are going to be, meet, you know, heading on the consumer. Um, this right. could be just yet, well, yet another option. Like, they might like that anyway. Um, and they don't have to raise again. <laughs> thank, thank you. Next, on Squawk Pod, from a friend of the show to the head of the Chicago Fed. Mr. President, you insisted on that. Call me Mr. President, remember? It, it was just to you, but yes, I did insist. Austin Goolsby, a voting member of the FOMC on what the central bank is thinking. Maybe. There are some things going on in the economy right now and the coming out of COVID aspects that are unique that have made predictions based on what happened in previous business cycles look kind of goofy. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. Now for a closer look uh, at what the Fed's done recently, the recent pause, the central bank's future rate path, and more. We knew him when. He was a normal person. We did for, for a long time. But let's bring in, uh, he's huge now. He's big. He's like a, he's, you're not MAGA, you're mega. Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsbee, he's former CEA chair in the Obama administration. Mr. President, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me back, Joe. It's good to are see you. Are you, how is your health and how are you sleeping? It's a big job you have, and, I, and I'll tell you why, why I'm asking that. We have a lot of people on that almost describe the risks as completely symmetrical. In other words, they say that a stop-and-start Fed policy that lets inflation stay alive is the worst thing that we could do. Then there's other people that say the Fed stayed at zero for too long. Why wouldn't they go too far in terms of hiking uh, and actually put us into a, a much harder landing than necessary? Which risk keeps you up at night or, or makes you worry more? I'd say the risk of inflation staying higher than where we want it is the, is the bigger risk. I, I'd say it's the bigger Did risk. Did they talk you I'd into say, that, Austin? Because I thought you were more... No. The, the, the word was that you did, maybe you didn't want to do some of the recent... Or that you were, you were sort of dragged into doing some of the recent hikes and that you thought maybe we should stand pat. That, that wasn't true? Well, uh, probably not. But I mean, it, it depends which meeting. I, I voted. We've all voted together I know. Um, I know. at each of the meetings. And look, the thing is, as you know, the Fed's got a dual mandate. Maximize employment, stabilize prices. The employment side has been going very well. So our focus, we've got to get the inflation back down to target. But I think we're doing it. And, and so far, we've been on a path which is quite unusual historically where we've been getting the inflation rate down without driving up the unemployment rate. 
Now, these external shocks, I'm going to call them, have derailed the Fed trying to nail a soft landing in the past. So let's keep an eye on it. And those are the kinds of things that are keeping me up right now. But we ought to have 100% commitment to that we're going to get inflation back to the target. I mean, and I think there are markers that we can watch to, to do that. And, and that's not going to change. 2% target is not going to change. I, I'm ready to, to declare victory I don't think it's going to change. No? Look, you, you, I think it's unhealthy that people speculate. You cannot change your target if you haven't reached the target. I mean, we... There, you find you can have some debate when you're at target whether that's the right target. But if you undermine the target and say, oh, well, maybe let's give up because we haven't gotten back to it, that, that defeats the whole purpose. Is it possible, Austin, that I use it more and more, the expression that <clears throat> things happen gradually and then all at once. Is it possible that, that, that the lag kicks in in, in a sort of a... Uh, a quantum way where suddenly things really do do slow quickly. Well, I mean, you, are, you're, getting all, you're getting all science on me now, Joe. Look, well, the uh, thing is, guys. yes, that's there, possible. Some, yes, gun, that there is are people that say the, the Fed's yep. done. There are people that say the last rate hike is in. Gunlack and, and other smart people that say we're going to see that there's no way that, that, that they've already at least accomplished um, restrictive and, and that, you know, it's going to restrict itself with China and with oil prices at 90 and with strikes and uh, all these other things are, are going to, the Fed doesn't need to do anything else. It, it, we don't know, it, it, but it is certainly possible. And there's one worldview which says it, it, traditionally, historically, it takes several years for the impact of monetary policy to work its way through. So things might get worse in the coming months and years uh, based on what we already did. Now, that said, if you look, I I've been trying to emphasize that pretty soon in here, the, the question is going to stop being, well, how much more are they going to raise? And it's going to transform into how long do we need to hold rates at this kind of restricted level to feel convinced that we're back on this path to 2%. And that's healthy. That's what we want it to be. So we're just going to have to play by ear the how much is still coming down the pipe versus how much was expected and, and was, was already in there. But I think we're getting close to this spot where it's going to be more about the how long we hold rather than how high we go. And, and what's your view on how long? Because there's a lot of disagreement when it comes to that, too, Austin. I, I, it feels like it's a little longer than what the market was, uh, was expecting when we released the last statement of projections. So if you look at the median SEP dot from the dot plot, it's got the rates holding, you know, well into next year. And that was a little longer than, than it seemed like what the market had thought before that came out. We had the father, Austin, of the inverted yield curve prediction in, uh, recession indicator on. And he said, we're, it's like next month is when it, <laughs> he said it's been wrong. It's pre they keep predicted just saying, look, it's been wrong for two, what, two years or something. But yeah. they just keep saying, ah, oh, just wait. Just no, wait. It's, it's, gonna, it's happening. It's yeah. But you, you yourself uh, noted how rare it is to not see a, a, yep. a, anything in, in the employment 
sector when you've gone up 500 basis points. Is it, 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 so I, I wonder whether, so you don't think we're on the cusp or already in a slowdown, a, a, a real one? It's, it's slowed. It's slowed a bit. But look, we the unemployment rate is still basically what it was when inflation was almost twice as high as it is now. So you, right. you at least got to say I've been calling that the golden path. And I think it's possible. But look, there are a lot of risks and the path is long and winding. Uh, but the thing is, the inverted yield curve is just the clearest manifestation of a mentality, which is. Let's look at the past and see what happened in the past. That's what's going to happen in the future. There are some things going on in the economy right now and the coming out of COVID aspects that are unique that have made predictions based on what happened in previous business cycles look kind of goofy. And and so that rule might not apply. You know, at the University of Chicago, I think people like looked at you and said, he's here, but he's not really one of them. I mean, I, I think that's the way it is. But, <laughs> they but, never and, said that, Joe. Because they said, you are a Keynesian. You are a Keynesian. So you, do you think there's I'm any- I'm a dated dog. I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a anything except that. Do you think that all the, it's going to be $2 trillion this year now, the deficit. Do you think the, the IRA, which is Inflation Reduction Act, I mean, I know- Classic. But do you think the IRA, all the other stuff uh, that, that we've spent, do you think that's keeping us out of, there's all this money in the system now, all the, uh, the, assisted, the assistance programs, is that why the economy's holding up and we're, we're going to hit a wall and we're at $33 trillion? Does that uh, keep you up at night? Joe, you know I'm a Fed man now. I'm not going to get into fiscal policy, whatever oh your God. ideology. I know how you, you can really keep feel. Your ideology. You love all that. You love all that Biden the, the, spending. I, I, I know I you. I, we go way back. That's not, that's not my world anymore, Joe. <laughs> so, look, the Fed takes the conditions as they are. It's a very Midwestern thing. We would do the job. Doesn't, doesn't matter what the conditions are. Okay. So our job is going to be look at what, what matters is okay. Delta from last year. So if something, if the deficit went up, if the fiscal impulse was bigger last year than this year, then that's shrinking in the GDP growth context. So uh, our job is to just take that as, as it comes. Okay. I like the old, I like both Austins, I guess. But uh, <laughs> you definitely have, uh, you've reined in a lot of those. And no more bets. We don't have any more, uh, I guess, because you uh, say Don't I even get me you. started, Joe, on what I, you owe me. I still with, owe with you With interest, it's going to be outrageous. I can't, you know, I, that was a really stupid move for me not to pay off back then because it's like three times more expensive now with the Biden inflation. <laughs> yeah. now, now if I... Food I mean, inflation is not your friend. Uh, Mr. President, you remember when he, he said, uh, he, you insisted on that, call me Mr. President, remember? In a tweet. It, it was just to you, but yes, I did insist. <laughs> All right, Mr. President, thank you. Please uh, come on again. That was, I, I enjoyed having you on and you're, you're very... You're smarter now. You seem much smarter to me, doesn't it? <laughs> because I agree with you, I Maybe. knew it. Maybe. Yeah, but thank you <laughs> for having me back, Joe. Great, it's great, great to thanks see for, Thanks for being on. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for starting your week with us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern for news-making interviews, helpful analysis, and singing... There's a party going on right now. The celebration. That's a bad one. That one might stack. Shh. Shh.
Get the very best of our TV show right in your ears when you follow this podcast, Squawk Pod, wherever you listen. Click that follow button and get Squawk Pod in your feed every day. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 